Straight Ahead in association with the 606 Club, bringing you the best in jazz every Wednesday evening from 10.
Good evening, everybody, and welcome to a brand new year of Straight Ahead with London 606 Club and me, David Lewis. Many thanks indeed to Colin, the ailing Colin. I hope by next week he's a little better and he'll have the podcast of that show available for you tomorrow. And he'll be back on Solar next Wednesday evening from 8. So into the new year we go with Oliver Nelson from 1964, a wonderfully entitled album called Fantabulous. And we just listened to Hobo Flats, which featured Phil Woods on the alto. Next up, we've got some Gene Ammons along with John Coltrane and the real McCoy. Thank you. 
Gene Ammons was on the tenor there from 1958, The Real McCoy, along with Coltrane on the alto and flute, and Pepper Adams was on the baritone, and it also featured Mal Waldron on the piano. So how was your Christmas and New Year? I hope it's wonderful and filled with great times and memories. Passed all too quickly, doesn't it? Uh, woke up this morning suddenly realising it was Wednesday and that I was on air tonight. <laughs> I think it's all of our fear, forgetting which day of the week it is. So, over to another sax man now, Chicago-born Cliff Jordan here with Blue Shoes. <laughs> Thank you. 
Cliff Jordan with the blue shoes, with features from Paul Chambers on the bass, Ray Bryant is on the piano, and Curtis Fuller on trombone. Next Tuesday evening down at the club, we've got the uh, presence of an amazing young trumpeter. Freddie Gavita is uh, with us next Tuesday, and we sat down together and grabbed a couple of words, and after we hear from Ella, we're going to be talking to Freddie and hearing a track from the album that we've been playing tracks of over the last few weeks as well. Uh, the album's called Transient. But first of all, we're going to go over to Ella from that great recording session of hers live in Berlin, from where that's a fantastic version of Magna Knife came from, the same gig, and this is Ella with How High the Moon. Did it do it? 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 Did it do
I've got in my collection Ella live in Berlin from 1960 there with the Paul Smith Quartet and of course doing what Ella does best just playing with the band and her version of How High the Moon so I mentioned next on Straight Ahead we're going to be chatting to Freddie Gavito and after that we're going to be taking a listen to one of the tracks from the album we're open seven nights a week with different bands every night there's always something for everyone check out the website for details and it's a very good evening to Freddie Gavito Freddie good evening and welcome to Straight Ahead Oh, thank you so much. Good to, see, good to be here. So it's weird the way life works and comes around. I saw you in a gig just before Christmas and I hadn't looked at the Sixes gig guide. And then when I got back <laughs> that night, I saw, lo and behold, Freddie Gavita's on at the Six in January. 
It's too stuffy. Which is a, a, yeah, exactly. I think the stars aligned for us. So it's a good of an excuse as any for me to get you on the show and have a quick chat. I know you're you're busy, but uh, if you've got a few moments, just like to sort of chat through what people can expect on the gig next Tuesday, and sure. uh, what, what brought you to this moment of being a, a soloist that you are. Because I think that was the one of the, the things that struck me when I saw on that gig was your improvisation. Right. And that's a hell of a talent to have, to have so much vocab, so many ideas, and to be able to, to, to solo like that. And I've not really spoken to many trumpeters, actually, but I'm assuming it is all vocab-based, isn't it, improv for you guys? Oh, uh, it's kind of a mixture, really. So um, for me, it, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me, it very much depends on the tempo of the piece. Mm-hmm. So if I'm playing something faster, then that's much more likely for me to play i would say something that i've worked on specifically to be able to kind of execute at that speed for a particular kind of piece or a chord or something like that whereas when it gets slower you have a lot more time to think so you can actually really kind of uh pick your notes and kind of try and improvise i sort of think of it as going from note to note like kind of Mm. joining the dots so that's kind of my approach, really. So we're going in almost at the back end of the interview, because I'm talking about the finished product uh-huh. rather than the earlier, but it just fascinates me. So <clears throat> can I just ask, when you're up on the stand and you're, you know, you've mm-hmm. got an improv or solo coming up, are you kind of working through in your mind already where you're going to be, where you're picking up from the other guys? Oh, good question. Um, it kind of varies. I mean, I often maybe sort of eight bars before I have to play something will start kind of formulating as to how I want to start off. Mm-hmm. Um, but then that can kind of change literally just from the last thing that the person before you plays. So um, you kind of, you kind of have to be ready to go whatever direction. Yeah. Take it. up from their gauntlet kind of approach. Yeah. But, yeah. but sometimes it's great to sort of come in with something completely different and, you know, it's all for me. It's all about variation and, and do, trying to keep it interesting. And does it help and vary? Uh, or does it help if you're playing with guys regularly? If you're thrown into say a new quartet and you haven't played with the other horn players, say for instance, mm-hmm. does that relationship begin to build over time? It can do. I mean, sometimes it can be brilliant from the offset, where you just you have a very either sort of a very similar approach, where you know you you kind of feel like you're almost reading each other's minds mm. or you can have play with somebody who just has a totally opposite way of playing. And then you kind of work together in a contrasting mm. way. So those, those things change, but I guess, yeah, of course, building a musical relationship is, is huge and kind of the reason why bands are great. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, we yeah. don't see, we don't see that many albums made these days of kind of pick up bands or things that are just kind of thrown together a couple of days before but gigs definitely still happen like that so if i uh, actually try and approach to do my job in a semi-professional way now and talk, <laughs> talk about the, right. the early freddie um was jazz yeah. a part of your household growing up um in a sense that um when i took up the trumpet my and that was your uh, first instrument was it no i played piano before that for okay. like maybe a year or two i think yeah um and I think my mum just wanted to be encouraging and bought me a Louis Armstrong cassette. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so I think I was 
eight or nine, I think, at this point. And um, she didn't really know much about him, and neither did I. And but I just took to it because at that age, you don't really care about, you know, style or what's trendy or you know what all your mates are listening to. That doesn't really exist when you're eight. So it was just music, and it was brilliant, and I loved it. So, and that was your first int- introduction to jazz trumpet, yeah. was it? Yeah, yeah, but nothing really in the family as such. I was going to ask if if either of your parents were either professional or amateur musicians, but no, 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 not at all. I mean, my grandfather is sort of um, said to be the provider of the musical gene because my cousin is um, uh, a great organist and. Mm. Um, went to Queens and Oxford and did um, organ studies there, mm-hmm. which is pretty, um, pretty amazing. And my sister was also um, a good piano player and sings really well. So I think there is, there is some sort of musical gene that we reckon it might come from my grandfather. <laughs> <laughs> and so presumably by that time you were beginning to play in school bands as you were a teenager yeah. and so on, I'm guessing, and county bands, that natural yeah, kind of progression. Exactly. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah. Were you a London-based kid, or where were you? No, I grew up in Norwich actually. But there were still um, county bands around to play there. I take it, and yes, and I think they're still going. And um, just I think it's um, a difficult time. I think for sort of um, music education locally. Um, but uh, yeah, I was kind of lucky to catch on to a, a tail end of, of something really quite special up in Norwich that produced a lot of um, a lot of great musicians like. Uh, Kit Downs and Lewis Wright and George mm. Crowley and before that the Mason brothers. I don't know if you know Brother Eddie and Mason. It, it it tends to be so often the way that these uh, prodigies or these talents come through in almost clumps together. The, I don't know if it's an energy you, you feed off one another or maybe locally you hear of success of some other musicians and but there definitely seems to be a way because I was just going to get onto the fact that you're also a Royal Academy student or former yes. Royal Academy student. Yeah, and again, often seems to be the way that in a certain year of so many good musicians come out together. Yeah, I mean, I don't think. I think in terms of locally, I think that's that's probably quite true. That um, if you have a few kind of like-minded people, especially in that sort of um, you know teenage years, then I mean, especially jazz, it's something that you kind of unless you're a piano player, I guess you kind of want and want to play solo piano. You kind of need to play with other people. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, for me, it's always been about how much fun it is to play with others. So if you do have people that are into it and that are the same age as you, then there's quite a good, uh, I guess that's the reason that people tend to come through. I mean, I had a little band in Norwich where I think all five of us from this quintet went to London to do jazz at one of the music music schools. And I think that's quite rare. There's a few places around Britain that are like that, like Derby and Doncaster have quite um, sort of prolific outputs. And it's just kind of the way it is. And I mm-hmm. think what you said about the pathway is very true as well, that if you see people that are older than you doing the same thing, you just think, oh, well, if they can do it. Yeah, it's I almost an inspiration it. and a lead on. So. Totally. Did you move to London for the first time when you came to Ram then, or had you been in London prior to that? That was the big move. Yeah, yeah, just straight down September, start of the degree, 2004, and then been here ever since. (laughs) What was it, performance that you studied there? 
yeah, it was a jazz uh, a jazz honors degree, so a four year um, course. Were there any big names that uh, were your tutors through those years? Well, yeah, I had loads of teachers. Um, I had Jared Presenter for a year, yeah, who's right. obviously an amazing trumpet player. Um, I had Martin Speak. Uh, mm-hmm. I had Seen him play a number of times. Yeah, I mean, Noel Langley, Nick Smart, Mike Lovett, so a lot of trumpet players. Um, and I had a few lessons with Tim Garland as well. Mm-hmm. And um, Yeah, I mean, there are things that you take from all of your teachers and I still practice stuff that they've all given me and sort of pass that on to my students as well. So it's, um, yeah, it's obviously a great place to be. And part of the the wonder of places like Ram is, of course, you're mixing with very like-minded, creative talents as well, aren't you? So all these pools yeah. come together and I guess the energy, you're feeding off one another. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's always interesting because jazz is such a broad um, kind of genre. Within it, there are so many different, styles you know and some people <clears throat> come to a jazz gig they're just expecting something completely different to what they hear mm. because they their idea of jazz might be different to you know what somebody else's is sure so you get that with players as well and so it was always quite interesting in colleges to see because you put your pick in the academy they choose basically five or six people a year and you are a band for the four years yeah so that's how you work. And, but you might get someone who's, you know, massively into just weather report and yep. then somebody who's, you know, really into, you know, Bix Beiderbeck or something yeah, like that. Something. And they have to play a broad variety of music together and figure out how to make it work. And that is a, a skill <laughs> in itself. And also you went through the, the Nigel ranks, I understand. Yes. Yeah. Um, I did three years with Nigel um, from... 18 to 21, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, again, similar kind of. Who's the MD at that point? It was still Bill Ashton right, at that yep. point. Yep. Um, I was, guess it's quite a long time ago now. Not as long as some people, but because um, I think Nigel's 50 now. Or that's right. He's just turned a couple of years ago, didn't it? Oof. I mean, that's an achievement. Isn't it, Justin? It's a great big band to watch as well. I've had the yeah. privilege to watch them a couple of times. Excellent. And it's a fantastic yeah. band. But who are, who are you playing with? Who are some of your colleagues in the band at that point? Oh, gosh, I don't know if I can remember now. Um, so I had uh, Tommy Lawrence. I don't know if yes. you've ever come across Tommy. Um, yes, I have. Who's the sax player and the ranger. Um, James Madron, who's the drummer in my In your quartet. And um, he was in Nigel at the time, but mm-hmm. we sort of knew each other from the, from the academy before then. Um but yeah, uh, another great trumpet player who's not really playing much anymore, but uh, a guy called Henry Armberg Jennings. He's he was fantastic and um, yeah, very much missed on the scene, but doing other things now. But um, yeah, it was you know. And before we get onto your solo projects, which I'll talk about in just a moment, um, mm-hmm. you've also I know played with the BBC Big Band and you were part of the Fletcher's Brew project as well, aren't you? Yes, indeed. Yeah, both. Uh, both good fun yeah, <laughs> things to get involved with. And again, very diversified in sounds. Yeah, I'm totally. I mean, the big band thing is um, kind of what it is. You know, I mean, the BBC big band I only played with once, but that was as a, a kind of guest soloist. So they wanted, they took four students from the, the different London colleges mm-hmm. and gave them a chance to do a sort of spotlight uh 
feature. So we did two tracks kind of um, at the front of the band and that was terrifying. <laughs> um, but it's quite funny because, you know, I used to listen to the BBC Big Band on the radio when I was a kid. And then to sort of actually ended up playing something that Jared Presenter had played sort of about six or seven years before. Yeah. Well. Um, and I remember thinking, oh, crikey, I can't, I can't. <laughs> that's not really fair. Um, but then, you know, half of the guys that were in the band that day, I was playing with last night and... It's just kind of strange to think at that age you you see them as these kind of you know and obviously they're incredible musicians but when you're a teenager and you hear people you know like Martin Williams playing the saxophone or you know Martin Shaw playing the trumpet that you're you're like oh these guys are sort of gods and then it's you're, sort of weird to think it almost feels routine to be you're front standing and next to with them. them yeah 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 and do you <laughs> enjoy the lovely. big band gigs I do yeah it's um. I mean, I've literally, I've, oh gosh, it's it's been, I just, I've always done it, really. Mm. I mean, since probably the age of 10 or 11, I think I've, I've always been in big bands. And mm. yeah, it's just an amazing sound. It's a great feeling playing in the section. Um, and, you know, when it's good, it's there's nothing quite like it, really. And so from the big bands, let's go to your own project. A couple of years ago, mm. of course, you released your debut album, Transient. Yeah. Playing tracks over the last few weeks on the show actually and how did that album come about um so it was kind of um <laughs> it was almost like uh, an opportunity that i needed to make the most of so i was um playing a lot with the ronnie scott's um all stars at the time mm -hmm. and we were booked to play on the blue note cruise which is um i think a week from miami and um yeah, just full of incredible jazz musicians, you know, kind of wandering around the buffet and bumping into Terence Blanchard and Joshua Redmond and watching them see what they pick, mm. <laughs> you know, from the salad bar, <laughs> which is quite funny. Um, and I was, you know, I was put to go on that with the Ronnie's band and I just kind of thought that would be ridiculous to go into a situation like that and not have something to show for myself mm -hmm. as a band leader because mm -hmm. I've been running the quintet for I think about 10 years at that point without ever recording anything because it was just always kind of on the back burner. Um, so I just decided to go for it and make the album and get it recorded. And I think I picked up the CDs about a day before we, we flew out to Miami and took it with them and sort of, made sure I had something to, Tangible, to yeah. hand to people in a yeah. way. Yes, it's, it's and is it always like a glorified the same? business card. <laughs> yeah, it's a good way of putting it. And a costly business card. Yeah. Not cheap recording it out, is it? And no. uh, has it always been uh, the same lineup? Uh, pretty much, yeah. So um, Kit Downs played piano in it um, while we were at college because mm -hmm. um, we started playing at that lineup in about 2006, I mm -hmm. think. Um and he's just very busy and so he comes back and plays occasionally but his teacher tom corley plays piano mm -hmm. um now and is obviously an incredible musician and uh yeah it's he's yeah you know he's unbelievable so i'm very lucky to to sort of have him come and want to want to play with me <laughs> nice. i'm sure there's not gonna have shortage of people wanting to play with you honestly um, I'd be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> and and the lineup at the six, uh, who's with you that night? 
So Tom will be playing piano, Tom Crawley, Callum Gourlay's on double bass, and uh, the drums uh, play as uh, Dave Hamblett, who's subbing for James Madron. Um, so he was the year below me at the academy, so we still have that kind of that long-standing yeah. musical relationship, and he's a great, great drummer Presumably, well, so. you'll be playing numbers from the album, will you? Yeah, yes, indeed, and a couple of uh, a couple of new ones as well that have uh, come out in the last couple of years so hopefully um there'll be something new because you enjoy writing clearly don't you i do yeah it's um it's a difficult one like i try to force myself to do it a bit more just because i I just end up throwing away so much that um to write something that i mean it took me 10 years to get enough tracks together Mm. to, to be happy with them to put on the record so i think um Deadlines are really good, aren't they? For always, people to work. So, yeah, oh, of course. De- yeah, deadlines kind of. Cre- uh, but de- then, can you be creative with a deadline? Yes, <laughs> because it forces you to make decisions quite quickly. Right. Um, but the process is really interesting, and I've sort of tried. Um, we've done this project last year. Well, actually, most of this year feels like last year now, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, We're that odd cusp, aren't we? Oof, I'm used to saying like this it. year, not yeah. I know what you mean. <laughs> Yeah, um, doing uh, albums from 1959 at Ronnie Scott's, which has been quite fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were writing tunes, kind of not pastiches, but sort of inspired by the records that we were playing. So when we did Kind of Blue, we were kind of writing mm-hmm. modally. And then we did uh, Mingus Arum, which is obviously um, a bit of a tour de force compositionally. But mm-hmm. it was quite interesting for me because I didn't really want to sort of steal ideas from you know just like writing oh this is my impression of the Charles Mingus tune but it was more like trying to listen to the actual compositional devices and things Mm. that he would use to develop an idea and then just taking a more personal idea but then just kind of using his approach to develop my things rather than kind of taking something that sounds like a Mingus lick and then doing the same thing or something like that. And this is why envies are not a very, it's a very unattractive word, but the (laughs) envy I have for you as musicians is the fact that you can understand music and composition to that level to take it away, almost strip it apart and then recreate. I was watching something uh, recently, Mm. a a documentary on Coltrane, and again, a fascinating insight into just how his brain kind of thinks. Yeah. And, yeah, and I mean, obviously you guys just see and feel music in a different way. You know, I enjoy it, but not being a musician, I haven't got that ability that you guys have got to, as I say, strip it apart modally and put it back together with a different feel to it. Yeah, but I mean, that's kind of a blessing and a curse in some ways because sometimes you then, if you if you do really kind of get into the nuts and bolts of how music works, and obviously there are some things that you can't really put down to you know, theory or harmony or, you know, things like that. But um, you sometimes find it quite hard to switch off and enjoy some music just for what it is. That was going to be my next question. Can you just sit back and enjoy music? Sometimes, but actually I find it needs, I need to consciously choose to do it and then just like decide that I'm going to enjoy (laughs) <laughs> what mm. people are doing and just sometimes actually just going to see something that isn't jazz is, is better for me for that because sure. I start thinking about oh what would I would have done what I would have oh, I can't even speak now mm. um, you know <laughs> what would I have done there or 
So I mentioned that you're with us next Tuesday, the 7th of January. It all gets going from 8.30 and tickets are, I think, still available if they go over to 606club.co.uk. And you'll have some very expensive business cards with you on sale that night, I, I take it. I think so. I've only got one left of the current box. That's a good so sign. I might, have That's to, a good I might charge sign. a premium for that. But um, <laughs> no, I, I was going to get some more, hopefully. And, good. Uh, yeah, it's a great album. There. Yeah, do get some more Thank press. You so much. And uh, we're playing a couple of tracks on the show uh, this evening, actually. And the first one that I was going to play straight after we finished chatting is Strimming the Ham. Oh, yes. Um, that's a odd title, isn't it? Yeah. How did titles, how do they, I mean, transient, if we just take it as a group of numbers, the title for the album, how did that come about? Well, it was kind of more of a reflection of what, kind of what the process is like making the music and that it does feel like it can be different every day and that, you know, within a few months time, a particular tune can take on a different kind of feeling and that, yeah, the, just the nature mm. of the music isn't static, and so, the so way there's that a transience could, to it. Yeah, you know the way the al- the album was recorded. That's just what those tunes sounded like that day, and mm. that was kind of really the um, the feeling that I wanted to sort of give off. And if we go back to streaming the ham, you mentioned an odd title. Yes, title um, and inspiration actually, for the number. It's de- <laughs> it's dedicated to um, Alex Garnett, saxophone player. Yes, yeah. Who we were. Um, Oh, I can't remember where we were playing. It might have been in Swansea, and they put on a nice plate of sandwiches for us. And uh, Alex <laughs> got there before me, <laughs> and I got in, and there was um, just the slices of bread left. Uh, and I said, "You know, like, what's going on here? Where's all the fillings?" <laughs> and Alex goes, "Oh, I've just been strimming the ham. <laughs> They've been stealing the fillings and leaving the bread behind." So uh, I sort of wrote this kind of. So, yeah, I was, I was, when I was going through the album, I saw that, hmm, streaming the ham. And that's, I think, yes. why I chose to listen to it first. <laughs> it's not <laughs> so a it euphemism, a good, don't worry. It's a good way of uh, pulling attention to it. Alex is a beast <laughs> of a player as well, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, super fun to play with. And obviously, and a, uh, sort of a brilliant character as well. So. Yes, yeah, well, luck, funny enough, him and his dad, Willie, uh, renovated an old Bucher horn for us many, many years oh, ago. Right. So uh, that's how I first got to know the Garnets yeah. as a family. But, uh, but Freddie, Quality I know talented. you're hugely busy. Um, I've been looking at your website, which is a really lovely, clean, easy-to-use website as well, freddiegavita.com. Well, well, it's good to see yes, people putting effort into their websites so often. Well, fortunately, like... I didn't make it myself. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do like it. Very user-friendly, very user-friendly. It's lovely to read. And as I said, Freddie is with us next Tuesday. Uh, and a copy of the album will be available down there. But it's, it's a wonderful... Is it available as a download? as well it is yeah right. i think you can yes i think you can get it on apple music and um you can listen to it for free on spotify but i wouldn't do that i definitely i wouldn't do that no, no i definitely buy it from my website <laughs> i try and support that's that's always why i try and give out the uh, the artist's website to make sure that if you buy albums as much as possible the money is going to those guys because these projects really are not cheap Yes, that's true. So, <laughs> so, Freddie, many thanks indeed. I really appreciate Thank your you time. So I know you're busy. So I'm, great, I'm very grateful that we could catch up and talk about the gig that's coming up. And that all takes place, as I say, next Tuesday evening, 7th of January, 2020. <laughs> but, uh, Freddie, many thanks indeed. And I'll be hoping to catch up with you very soon. 
My pleasure. See you Thank then. Thank you, Freddie. Thanks. Cheers. And that was Freddie Cavita, a really, really interesting chap. Glad we uh, managed to make some time to chat to one another. And uh, as I say, there are still a few tickets available for next Tuesday. If you go over to the website, 606club.co.uk, you can try and grab yourself a ticket there to see Freddie on the stand. And we are going to go straight to that album that uh, we were talking about, Transient. And indeed, <laughs> now we know why it's called Strimming the Ham.
strumming the ham. Freddie Gavita, our guest at the club next Thursday evening, uh, next Tuesday evening, the 7th of January. And to come in hour number two, we're going to have another track from Freddie. Also, we're going to be taking a listen to Leanne Carroll, who's with us tomorrow night. And we're going to be finishing with something rather gorgeous from John Coltrane. But next on Straight Ahead this week, it's going to be time for Buddy's Bits. Listen online, on DAB and on smart speakers. Straight Ahead, with London's leading music venue. The 606 Club. Thank you. 
Steve Marcus on the sax feature there, Buddy Rich, was uh, 1978, and No Funny Hats was the title of the album, and we were discussing how albums get their names. Buddy is a, we're saying, on, there's a little bit of narrative at the beginning of that particular album, saying we well, don't need any gimmicks, we don't need any, no funny hats, just great music, and that's where that title came from. Slow Funk was the track that we just listened to, and talking of the family Rich, next uh, week on the show, we've got Kathy talking about that brand new album, Just In Time, that's uh, been released just before Christmas, I think it was, and we've been playing tracks of it over the last few weeks. Let's go back to another track from our guest this evening, Freddie Gavita, and this is Pull your socks. Thank you. 
Freddy Cavita and Pull Your Socks. I love his name over on Twitter as well. If you're looking to follow him over there, Fluey Farmstrong. And I think we know now as uh, Louis Armstrong was the first CD that he was given. I'm guessing, just guessing, that's possibly where that uh, particular moniker has come from. Thank you for joining me on this, the first straight ahead of 2020. I hope you've enjoyed the music so far on the show. Loads of great stuff still to come, so don't go anywhere. Next, we've got New York-born saxophonist Jackie McLean with a wonderfully entitled track, Riff Raff. <laughs> Thank you. 
Light of the Night from Joe Henderson from 1963 with Butch Warren on the bass and Kenny Dorham was on the trumpet along with McCoy Tyner on piano and Pete LaRocca was on the drums, the full lineup on that particular album. And one year later than that, 1964 was the track uh, which preceded it, Jackie McLean, Riff Raff, and that uh, had Bobby Hutchison on the vibes. And I mentioned Bobby because uh, Bobby's going to be our penultimate track on the show this evening. Next on Straight Ahead, we have got our guest at the club tomorrow evening, pianist and singer Leanne Carroll. 606 gift vouchers, a unique present for those who love the good things in life.
Turn out the stars from Leanne Carroll, as I mentioned. She's with us at the club tomorrow evening. We've got a really packed schedule in January and hopefully quite a lot of interviews coming up as well. And I said we've got Kathy Rich next week and I'm hoping to have Rachel Sutton on the show in the next few weeks as well, ahead of uh, her gig down with us at the club. If there's one album you may be looking to add to your collection that you don't yet have, I suggest this would be a good way to go. Consummation from Thad Jones and Mel Lewis. And on that particular album, you'll find this lovely track, A Child Is Born.
this is that. Consummation is the album, and I popped out of the collection the other day and forgotten how wonderful it is all the way through. As you know, Thad and Mel often did live recordings down at the Village Vanguard in New York City, but that was a studio album and uh, heavily featuring, obviously, the trumpet work of Thad Jones there, A Child Is Born. So if you're listening to the show just about half an hour or so ago, you would have heard that we played that riffraff track from Jackie McLean, which had Bobby Hutchison on the vibes. Well, here's a track from one of the solo projects of Bobby's 1979, The Gift of Love album and Clockwise. Thank you. 
called Clockwise, written for Bobby by pianist the late Cedar Walton and recorded by Rudy Van Gelder. Now, I'm having a big Coltrane moment uh, right now and part of that in due uh, is in fact a documentary that I watched. You would have heard me mention it when I was interviewing Freddie a little bit earlier on. If you've got access to Netflix, I think I saw it on, it's a wonderful, insightful um, documentary about the life of Coltrane. And I've been going through the albums that I've got in my collection and uh, I think we're going to be hearing a little bit more from uh, Coltrane over the next few weeks. But to finish the show, and indeed the first straight ahead of 2020, we are going to be playing something from the Soul Train album and uh, a lovely track with which to finish You Say You Care. Many thanks indeed for your company. Enjoy the rest of your week and we'll be back together with you next Wednesday from 10 for more Straight Ahead.
Thank <laughs> you.